Welcome to Eurasia Chat, a bi-weekly discussion of hottest topics in Central Asia with two hosts, me, Alisher Hamidov, a journalist based in Bishkek, and... Aikirim Tuluhanova, journalist from Kazakhstan. Well, we have a number of topics for you in this podcast, and Aikirim, so uh, what have we decided to talk about? So today we will discuss mainly four big topics. First is air pollution in Central Asia, then we will switch to relationships between Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, Kazakhstan and Russia and discuss the public scandal caused by the death of children in three countries of Central Asia. Great. So maybe I should update our listeners about the energy crisis that has been affecting the entire Central Asia region. Uzbek officials have actually asked people to rely less on electricity because it's going to put pressures on the systems. Kyrgyzstan as well is experiencing shortages of electricity. So we're back facing the energy crisis. But again, you know, we are dealing now with another situation. So as the energy crisis is looming over the region, we are also dealing with higher levels of air pollution. Yeah, that's true. I think every year it is getting even worse because I was in Almaty and I just feel that smell of the mix of uh, gas, some dust and a coal burning. It's really unpleasant uh, smell. And unfortunately, after just few days, you get used to it and you just live normally as if it's not happening. But it is really dangerous for your health. Yeah, and this is given the fact that you flew for the holidays from uh, the Czech Republic to Kazakhstan. So how do you compare the air quality in Prague and Almaty? Well, I, I would say in Prague, of course, it's um, much cleaner air quality. I think it's also related to the heating systems because in Almaty, there is a central heating system and it's a tradition that every winter we have a huge smoke that uh, just covers the whole city. And closer to spring, summer, when the heating season is over, you can see finally the mountains and other uh, objects that are uh, in farther direction. And in Prague, I don't know if there is a, a central heating system, but mm -hmm. electricity and gas heating is so expensive that people don't really use a lot of it. And in Almaty, it's almost automatic. It's switched on during the beginning of heating season for a few months. You can't switch it off. Yeah, you just live with it. I, I've heard that in Bishkek, actually, the situation with smoke can be even worse. Can you tell us more? What is going on there? Yeah, I agree. It's now official. Throughout much of December and early January, uh, the quality of air in Bishkek was classified as very unhealthy. And now uh, the uh, air quality monitor is put by the U.S. Embassy in Bishkek is showing today that quality of air has fallen to a really dangerous level. The embassy classifies this level as hazardous for everyone exposed to it. And it's not just Bishkek. Uh, all other cities in major cities in Central Asia uh, are having this problem. For example, in Uzbekistan, it's uh, classified as unhealthy. In Dushanbe, it's hazardous. And in Almaty, from what I got, uh, it's classified as poor and un unhealthy. So it seems like we're, we're all in the same uh, kind of shoes. We're suffering from all kinds of uh, symptoms that are caused by air pollution. So um, the question preoccupying the minds of many people is what causes uh, air pollution in our city. So is there any discussion in Kazakhstan about the causes? 
every year we discuss what causes um, air pollution. And I think there are several factors, not just the central heating system, but also uh, particularly in Almaty, it's that it just has a lot of large number of cars and they also pollute the air and also the private sector because probably not all of the people are connected to central heating systems. So they burn their own coal mm. or some other things like tires, wood and plastic to heat their houses or to cook food sometimes. Yeah, there are a, a number of factors when it comes to the air pollution. Uh, but I also wanted to add uh, about the health uh, risks uh, of air pollution, mm -hmm. because I recently came up to the World Bank report that estimated, for example, that in Kazakhstan, due to air pollution, the country can experience more than 10,000 annual premature deaths, and the economic cost would be more than 10.5 billion per year. So it's a huge number and in Kyrgyzstan, speaking of co the causes, uh, much of the air pollution is caused by coal burning by private homes and industrial sites for heating. More than 70% of the country's residents rely on coal for heating. And so additional sources of air pollution are CO2 emissions from cars. And actually, there's also the factor of construction industry. It turns out new high-rise buildings, which were built uh, by hundreds in Bishkek over the past years, they're blocking the free flow of wind that can normally carry away pollutants from the city. And so uh, now a lot of discussion in, happening in Bishkek about what can be done. Some parliament members called for the resignation of Bishkek city mayor, but the Kyrgyz president, Sadr Japarov, said that firing officials won't help. Japarov has his own theory about air pollution, the causes of it, and he says that Private saunas and bathhouses, Russian banyas, that uh, rely a lot of, on a lot of coal, they are causing air pollution, according to Japarov. And he proposed to build new state-run saunas and banyas to solve this problem. So this suggestion has been ridiculed in social media networks, and, but it shows how politicized this issue has become. A few years ago, when I wrote an article actually about air pollution in Almaty, there was a case when one eco-activist bought some equipment to uh, record the air quality and it was much higher than the official mm -hmm. statistics. And wow. uh, the authorities at that time kind of pressured the activists to not uh, broadcast this data and to follow the government standards. So I don't know how the story ended up, but for now I see that there are more eco-activists that are monitoring their own data and they're just publishing it on social media and saying which areas of Almaty have the worst air today, for example. And what yeah. about uh, in Bishkek? Is well, there any solution apart from Japarov's idea of how to tackle air pollution? We have proposals, you know, switching to natural gas and electricity, especially the public transport system. But all of these suggestions, proposals are costly and will take time. And in the meantime, all of the Central Asian residents are forced to live with air pollution and deal with its consequences. C'est la vie. Speaking of crisis, uh, let's talk about other crises, crisis in relationship between Kazakhstan and Russia. Could you please update us on the recent events in the relations? 
it's another kind of turn in the history of、uh, Russia-Kazakhstan relationships because recently we have、um, seen quite significant news that、um, Kazakh diaspora and Kazakh businessmen that、uh, are doing their business in Ukraine they brought from Kazakhstan at least、uh, six yurts. In Kazakh, it's called kiesy.、Mm. So these are nomadic houses, tents, and they were brought from Kazakhstan to Ukraine. And the first one was established in Bucha, which is Ukraine's、uh, city that was one of the first ones、um, to be liber- liberated. And the world has saw all the atrocities that Russian army has done there.、Mm-hmm. So、um, this news brought a lot of. Public attention and、uh, Russian、uh, foreign、uh, minister spokesperson Maria Zakharova actually demanded、uh, to comment the Kazakh Ministry of Foreign Affairs about what is this? Why did you bring this thing to Ukraine? Right? And、um, the spokesperson of、uh, the Kazakh MFA Ibex Madiarov actually gave a. Long answer saying that this is not official initiative. It was an、um, initiative of Kazakh diaspora, Kazakh businessmen and people. We cannot prohibit them.、Uh, this is like a private initiative. And then he said something like, "Your、um, traditional nomadic tent. It's very、uh, ecologically friendly, mobile." And we're proud to have this yurt. So it was like a double meaning in these terms, and a lot of people on social media actually praised、um, Kazakh Minister of Foreign Affairs for giving such, let's say, bold answer to Russia's、uh, ministry. And some of the social media users said that this is how. Independent country should reply to Russia, or this is how Kazakh MFA should work. So about these yurts of invincibility, there with electricity generators, and people in different Ukrainian cities can、uh, go inside, warm up, try different Kazakh treats, some、mm. food, listen to Kazakh music. So、uh, this whole initiative to bring these yurts has a huge、uh, symbolic meaning, and I would say by far the biggest gesture of support to Ukrainian people from Kazakhstan. Maybe that's why the Russian、uh, foreign minister was going a bit crazy trying to get explanation about why did you set it up. Wow! Do you exclude the possibility of a war in some or confrontation between Kazakhstan and Russia because of the escalation of these uh, uh, accusations? Is there any possibility? Well, you never know what is in the mind of your neighbor. There can always be a possibility, but I think right now Russia is quite busy. Also, as we discussed in previous episodes, Kazakhstan is also seeking some kind of support from other countries like China, Turkey, that openly said that they support、uh, territorial integrity and sovereignty of Kazakhstan. And I think that this somehow gives some form of guarantee that if Russia invades Kazakhstan. At least those countries will support somehow, and I think in general Kazakhstan is a big economic and political partner in the region, and the stability and all this、um, peace should be there、um, in the country in order to help as a transit zone or as、um, any other. Function that Kazakhstan is doing、uh, right now. I think,、uh, especially as a transit country, there was recently news that、uh, Kazakhstan will bring its first oil to Germany through Russian pipelines, and、uh, Russia is actually using、uh, Kazakhstan's territory to bring its own oil to China. So 
there is some leverage mm-hmm. uh, in Kazakhstan to do certain things and sometimes to say these bold statements. But of course, it's all difficult and you never know where it will lead. Wow, well, it's uh, calming to know that things will not be so dramatic. We have already so much drama in the region, you know, the border war between Kyrgyzstan and Tajikistan. So I wanted to update our listeners about what has been happening over the past couple of uh, months. We have seen a lot of progress on uh, negotiations. There were flurry of visits between Dushanbe and Bishkek. But at the same time, we've seen this blaming game. Kyrgyzstan is still blaming Tajikistan for causing the violence at the borders. And Tajikistan is scoffing at uh, accusations and foreign ministry officials are saying that it was Tajikistan that came under aggression. So uh, a recent standoff in a border village uh, in December underscored the potential for the recurrence of interethnic violence and interstate border clashes along this uh, poorly defined frontier. Uh, we have a lot of finger pointing, I agree, now still. And so, uh, but according to experts, this finger pointing is not helping and it's uh, counterproductive. Uh, this blaming game has also distracted pu- public attention from deeper negative impacts from strained relations, eco- economic impacts, cultural and educational uh, impacts. I actually wanted to ask you about these impacts because. In terms of education, um, I've heard there is uh, this University of Central Asia that is affected. Can you tell us more about what this university is about and how it's connected to Kyrgyzstan and Tajikistan? The University of Central Asia, which is uh, a joint project between Kyrgyzstan and Tajikistan, funded by the Agahan Foundation, a uh, famous you know, uh, philanthrop, it's suffering. They're all suffering. More than 700 Tajik students studying in Kyrgyz universities dropped their studies and transferred to Tajik universities in 2022 because of difficulties with travel and because of fears of mistreatment, according to Tajik media reports. Uh, Kyrgyzstan and Tajikistan, they're still discouraging their citizens from traveling you know, to these countries. I wonder what kind of difficulties with travel do they have? Do you know? Is there like extensive uh, border control or are they questioned all the time when they're trying to cross the border? Well, Kyrgyzstan officially uh, is banning the entry of Tajik nationals from what I've gathered. And the Kyrgyz foreign ministry also said that Tajikistan is not allowing Kyrgyz citizens into Tajik territory. And Tajik officials said that it was wrong. They, they are still allowing. So, But Kyrgyz officials are discouraging Kyrgyz citizens from traveling to Tajikistan. So, uh, yeah, that's what's happening. Difficulties entering, actually, these countries. And I wanted to know your opinion about possibility of external mediation in this conflict. Let's take Kazakhstan. So is there any possibility for Kazakhstan to step in and say, hey, look, guys, enough. Uh, Let's live together in peace. I am not an expert in um, this uh, area, but to me, it seems like at least in the regional terms, maybe Kyrgyzstan and Tajikistan probably would not view Kazakhstan as uh, the country that would be able to be an external mediator. They would probably see some country like Russia or, I don't know, China, some bigger countries uh, that have more leverage to be the external mediator. Uh, Kazakhstan usually uh, touches uh, the areas of the countries that are far away, like Syria talks, peace talks mm-hmm. uh, in Astana, and other countries that are not in the region. But I don't, I'm not sure that uh, Kazakhstan has the ambitions to do any mediator uh, functions in the region itself. I think yeah. um, 
right now Kazakhstan is busy with doing lots of other things. And it makes sense. You know, Uzbekistan offered mediation to Tajikistan and Kyrgyzstan, but both of these uh, countries ignored this offer. And then Russia stepped in and it offered Soviet-era maps uh, and its uh, facilitation. But then both sides were indifferent. Uh, and Soviet-era maps, they're so unhelpful. They, they, In fact, they make cause more conflicts. Uh, and so uh, uh, Putin has been left out. He's busy with his own war. And then China is a possibility, but the Chinese, they usually let Russia to take a lead in, in its backyard. So Turkey doesn't have much leverage over on Tajikistan. And so, and it's been selling these weapons, high-tech weapons, uh, attack drones to Kyrgyzstan, causing much consternation in Dushanbe. So we're left on our own. So, and both Dushanbe and Bishkek, they don't want external involvement. They said that they will resolve this within the bilateral track. So we'll see what happens. Clearly, this is a frozen conflict, uh, and frozen conflicts tend to flare up. We might see more confrontations. Hopefully, these confrontations will be limited and diplomatic. But again, uh, there is need for external involvement, uh, peacekeepers, uh, peacemakers in the region. I believe that uh, bilateral track is so weak when it comes to such frozen conflicts. So let's move now to the topic of uh, healthcare in Central Asia. There was a public outcry about the recent deaths of children, and it put health authorities in Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, and Uzbekistan under spotlight. Uh, in Uzbekistan, for example, at least 18 children have died after consuming a medicinal syrup that was manufactured by Indian drug maker. And Uzbek health officials said that the children took this syrup for treatment against flu and cold, and the death of so many children caused a big public outcry in Uzbekistan. In Kyrgyzstan, you know, we also have a similar situation. Uh, the death of a three-year-old child in Bishkek Hospital caused actually uh, arrests of healthcare workers in late December. Kyrgyz police said that the death of the child was caused by medical negligence, and so uh, they arrested at least six children's doctors. And then this, these arrests caused public uproar among health specialists. How can police arrest doctors without experts' opinion were the questions asked? So under public pressure, the arrested health officials were released. Uh, and it also turned out uh, that that child which died was uh, related to uh, a high-ranking officials. Yeah, I've also followed this story. And um, I think it was the first case when in Kyrgyzstan there were ever arrests of doctors and uh, do you know what is happening now? They're under house arrest waiting for trial? Yes, these people were put under house arrest and uh, they're awaiting. Uh, the investigation is continuing. So a uh, uh, preliminary investigation found that the child died because of uh, peritonitis and abdominal obstruction. Uh, but uh, some uh, experts are saying that uh, claims that these child died because of doctor's negligence are not true and, and that they did all they can. Anyway, so there's a lot of attention. And in Tajikistan also, uh, have you seen what, what was happening there? In Tajikistan, there was a death of sex tuplets in Hojan city. Um, and it's, it's the first time ever that in Tajikistan, there was a birth of six newborns at the same time. And um, unfortunately, these babies died the next day, even though the doctors reported that they were in good health when they were born. 
now there are media reports that these uh, babies were prematurely born and they weighed about 600-700 grams. You know, following the doctor's uh, case in Kyrgyzstan, you know, some people are drawing uh, parallels between the arrests of doctors in Kyrgyzstan and Stalin era uh, arrests of uh, doctors. You know, there was this case of doctor's affair. So there's this uh, perception that, look, hey, this this is not about doctors. This is about our system, you know, like uh, this is systemic failure. Doctors are underpaid, understaffed, overworked. Governments are not spending enough money on healthcare. How can you blame doctors, you know, when it's a social problem? So there's a lot of debate about, you know, the future of healthcare, that state uh, healthcare facilities, they are completely uh, unprepared to deal with, you know, healthcare risks in, in, in the region so and it's across the country so it seems like you're saying Kazakhstan is better off so it has better state system like healthcare system uh, to be honest I don't know maybe it's just my let's say privileged experience because I was born in Almaty and I don't know how people in uh, other places experience um, the same treatments in smaller villages, for example. My uh, recent experience with hospitals in Almaty was back in 2019 when I did a shoulder surgery. Mm. And actually, I ran away from the hospital on the second or third day because I saw a lot of cockroaches on my uh, pillow. So I was mm. like, I don't care if my shoulder is um, not healed, I'm not gonna sleep here. So I just ran away and I had to persuade doctors to let me go. And I signed all the papers that I understand all the risks. So yeah, and it's like in the city center it's uh, like the biggest traumatology hospital in the city. Wow. I don't know what about other hospitals. Well, I also have a personal story to share. A relative of mine, uh, his daughter was uh, infected with HIV in 2008 oh, wow. uh, in hospital. Uh, so it happened during blood transfusion. The child, the daughter actually, uh, was infected and uh, along with 70 other children uh, in Osh province. Uh, and so it was a doctor's uh, fatal mistake. So they failed to actually investigate blood, uh, donor's blood. So it caused huge scandal in Kyrgyzstan in 2008. But uh, the situation has not improved much, I think. So it's a, it's a family trauma for us and many other families. So And it's like a, we're paying indirectly for a failing healthcare system in our own country. That's a very sad story. Mm, oh, I, no. I, it's it's terrible to hear that. I think in Kazakhstan it was the same many years ago in Shymkent. And some of these children that were infected by mistake with HIV, some of them actually appeared in mass media to raise awareness about HIV and that how can you live with HIV and still live normal life. But still, it should never have happened in the first place. Well, one good thing that came out from this is that more awareness about you know healthcare risks and HIV in my family at least and also uh, the state uh, officials they have guaranteed that my relative has been receiving anti-HIV medication free of charge so over all these years so she's uh, 17 now that little girl I think some of the positive effects of healthcare systems in our countries is that sometimes you actually receive free medicine, right, for certain diseases. And my my surgery was also free of charge, even though it, it costs to the state probably a lot of money. 
This has been Eurasia Chat Podcast with your hosts Alshar Hamidov and Agirin Tolyohanova. Subscribe at Eurasianet and wherever you get your podcast. See you next time. Yeah, we we'll say goodbye to you until next time.